Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Hi, everyone. I am James, your host for today. I'm Charlie, uh, James's co-host for today. <laughs> James, I'm excited for whatever you're bringing in today. Charlie, that's good. Today we have, I'm excited to say, another brain episode. Oh, man. I don't know if I'm excited about that. I mean, the last one was pretty tough. Yeah. The brain like, avalanche. Talking about the brain hurts my brain. It actually does. I'm going to try to make this one as pain-free as possible. If you're interested in pain, it's a little plug for our episode about pain. <laughs> or like uh, Dan Carlin. I've always been fascinated by pain. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. Fortunately, <laughs> this episode is not quite as dark as uh, Dan Carlin's episode about pain. Yeah, he'll be guest hosting next week, though. So, so make oh. sure you tune into that one. I cannot wait for that. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, hopefully the week after that, right? <laughs> oh my God. What's the deal with the brain? Okay, so seriously though, what's the deal with the brain? What is this episode going to be about? So first off, uh, big shout out to Dennis Bontempi. I probably pronounced his name wrong, but he is a very friendly listener um, out of Italy who kindly recommended this paper to us. He sent us a message. He is a research assistant at the University of Brescia. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Dennis, uh, in Italy, just graduated in computer science and has been working for the last year on the application of deep learning to neuroscience. Interesting. And this paper that you brought in is kind of related to his research? Yeah. So he was fortunate enough to go and actually do a six-month stint at the University of Glasgow, where the main authors from this paper were working. I got to meet a lot of interesting researchers in psychology and neuroscience, so he stumbled on this. Um, the paper is actually from 2017. But I think the research is cool enough, and Dennis vouched for it, so it was a perfect fit for Paper Boys. All right, well, I guess we'll decide at the end whether or not to lambast Dennis for this choice, but... Yes, Dennis... Uh, <laughs> pressure's on, Dennis. Pressure's on. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, I'm excited then uh, to kind of hear about some of the details of this science. So for anyone tuning in for the first time, you may be wondering, why are James and I doing this podcast? You probably already think that we sound like idiots, but I assure you we're not as idiotic as we sound. We're both PhD students. We read a lot of papers in the course of our own research. We've developed something of a knack for it. And so we are sharing that skill and this love of science with uh, hopefully a lot of other people who are science-minded and want to hear about recent discoveries that are really affecting all of our lives. In short, we are the paper boys. All right, Charlie, before we actually get into this episode, uh, first I want to welcome any new listeners. If you haven't already, please do check us out on social media. Our handle is at paperboyspod and hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or email paperboyspodcast.com. That's how we got this episode, isn't it? It is. It is. And I'm excited to say that we have a brand new spanking website up, paperboyspodcast.com. Hopefully you like the new engineered look. Let us know what you think. Shoot us a message. Send us a line. Send us a pigeon. Send us honestly. a pigeon. Yeah, James and I spent a, for, a small fortune on a high-end software engineer to develop that site for us. Straight out of Google. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But uh, we're proud of our bit splicing. We do. This is actually a true fact. We do have a very powerful high-tech Silicon Valley startup that is doing a little bit of financial management for us. A small little shop called Patreon dot com slash paperboyspod 
go check it out. We are doing bonus episodes every month. And uh, if that black hole neutron star stuff kind of caught your attention last week, you should go check out our bonus episode, which is on the theory of relativity and how we confirmed it. 100 year anniversary this year. 100 year anniversary of this awesome paper. James and I dove into it. Science was really weird back then. Very different, but uh, it still somehow worked out. So yeah. Pretty exciting. Check it out if you're interested. Yeah. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. James, tell me more about the brain. Well, Charlie, the brain is connected to the head bone, <laughs> which is connected to the neck bone. <laughs> so you are bringing in some paper about this, like some sort of neuroscientific research. Was this, and you mentioned that uh, Dennis sent you this. Were there some specific news articles that kind of came along with this? He did send us one news article from medicalexpress.com with the title, The Human Brain Can, quote, See What Is Around the Corner. Looking around the internet, took a little time machine back to 2017 <laughs> when this paper came out, tried to find some news articles at the time. Uh, the Human Brain Project, this isn't necessarily a news article because I think they sponsored the research, but their title was The Millisecond Conversation between brain and eye interesting this sounds like almost some telepathic stuff like prediction you can see what's around the corner like some superpower basically it sounds like a superpower but we'll get into the science of it okay more like bayesian inference okay what you're saying is like we're, we're about 20 years off from everyone being superman uh yeah probably 10 to 15 okay no uh that's not what i'm saying <laughs> don't uh don't be misled by that, please. But there are some interesting implications from this research that are broader than just neuroscience, so I'll definitely get into that. Okay. Looking uh, forward to it. And then neurosciencenews.com uh, said, the human brain can, quote, see what's around the corner, which is actually, I don't know who ripped off who, but someone... <laughs> Were those the same headlines? Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so uh, someone's copying and pasting. Not my place to say who. I'm but you know who that. you are. You know who you are if you're listening. <laughs> okay. So this is this sounds pretty interesting and definitely sounds like it's ripe for misinterpretation, as I clearly just showed. Yes. No bionic humans were hurt in the making of this episode. Okay. So uh, what's the actual paper that this is based off of? So the actual journal paper is called Predictive Feedback to V1, which is the primary visual cortex, dynamically updates with sensory input. So I'm going to reread that. Okay. Uh Predictive feedback to the primary visual cortex dynamically updates with sensory input. Okay, gotcha. And this was published in Nature Scientific Reports in 2017. Uh, the authors were Grace Edwards, Petra Vetter, Fiona McGrewer, Lucy Petro, and Lars Muckley. Most, where, where are they researching out of? They are researchers primarily out of the University of Glasgow in oh, Scotland. Yeah. You mentioned that, sorry. But also the... Istituto Italiano di Tecnologia, Roberto <laughs> Italy. Um, Can you say that again a little less offensively, James? <laughs> no, um, unfortunately not. Uh, a small place called Harvard University in Cambridge, mm, okay. uh, United States, Cambridge, University of UK. London. Yeah, so there's a lot of authors. Okay. <laughs> in Cambridge, UK. No, not quite. Okay, so, well, I mean, I guess there's no other way around this. We kind of have to dive in, right? We just have to dive in. So you said that... Can you say the title one more time? The title is Predictive Feedback to the Primary Visual Cortex Dynamically Updates with Sensory Input. Okay. Well, I regret asking that. It did not help me at all. <laughs> okay. So what is, what is like predictive feedback? Let's just start there. What is this whole idea of feedback in the brain? So the whole idea of this is that high-level areas of the brain try to predict future sensations. 
So you have sensory input in your body, whether it's like motor, visual, auditory. Okay. And as humans, animals in this three-dimensional world, we get this diverse sensory input coming in. And we like to build a model to understand what's happening. Like if you close your eyes, you know that there's a microphone in front of your face. Even though you can't see it, you know roughly where to point from it. Even if I turned you around in a circle, like you could be like, the mic's roughly there. There's a table, stuff like that. Okay, wait. This might sound crazy because I feel like I asked someone this recently and they they had no clue what I was talking about. If you close your eyes Uh and then someone, and then you take like your finger and you bring it like close to your forehead... Without touching it. Do you feel like this sensation, like your forehead is about to be touched? Do you feel that? Yeah. If everyone at home isn't closing their eyes and putting their finger in front of their face right now, then 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 this hilarious prank has failed. So it's really funny you bring this up because I was at the dentist today to get a cleaning. And they like gave me these sunglasses so stuff wouldn't splatter, you know, like when they're cleaning your teeth. And uh, I was like... I don't know. I was pretty relaxed. So I was just like closed my eyes and I realized uh, like I had no sense of where the person's hand was probably because I had just read this paper. So I was like kind of doing that experiment <laughs> yeah. with like, you know, if it's not your hand to feel that same thing and it's yeah. like, no, you just get hit in the face with a drill. Oh, okay. Well, there goes my theory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe it was the, maybe it's all the say Novogain, they shot you up with. Yeah. Novogain. <laughs> Okay, well, that's interesting. So, I mean, I can kind of understand that, though. Like, a better example is probably more like when you see an object being thrown, your brain is able to figure out where it's going to land before it lands. Is that an example of this, like a visual? Yeah, that might be an example. Okay. One way to think about it, too, though, is like when you're looking at things, things seem steady. But really, your eye does this thing called cicading, which is where both eyes make a quick simultaneous movement between these different points of fixation. You've probably seen these images uh, when people look at how another person studies a face. So when you encounter encounter a face, you're like, oh, I'm just talking to this person. But really, your eyes are moving almost like four times a second to different parts of their face. Yeah. Automatically. Dude, this is another... I feel like this is another weird thing that people are going to be like, Charlie, what are you actually talking about? When you watch a movie or like a TV show, when two characters are up close to each other and they're looking into each other's eyes, do you ever notice that their eyes are darting back and forth like crazy? Yeah, that's cicading. Man, I'm so glad that there's a word for that. Yeah. And now now I can use that word when I'm watching a movie with my fiance and she says, I'm crazy. You're She's going to be like, oh my God, Charlie is so smart. Yeah. Which you are. Which wow, you I are. thought he was dumb, but then I found out there was a word for this and now he's smart. Yeah. You're full of like those movie trivia words that like... Diagesis. What's that? Or di- diagesis maybe is the word roll with that whichever one you're more confident about <laughs> diagesis sounds cooler diagesis i like yeah, that everyone go google with, that one but what is oh you're not gonna no, spoil you it. gotta google right. it yeah no spoilers <laughs> so the cicading is important right because like the world isn't shaking but things change in the world and so we're constantly moving our eyes around mm-hmm. to come up with this and you know this is really important because like your movie reference we can watch movies but something that's cool that's happening is this apparent motion illusion so you're watching it, your, your eyes are moving around and studying the scene that's moving, but really all you're watching are these static images. Oh man, that's such a good so, point. So something's happening in your brain to fill in the gap. Okay, so like when you're looking between objects, basically what you're saying is somehow your eye, your brain is kind of like creating the next image before it gets there. It's like it knows what you're going to sort of be seeing next, like as though it's one continuous thing that's happening. Yes, yes. And so it's like... Uh, one example, I mean, movies are a great example, 
another thing I was thinking about is like if you're watching a bird and watching its trajectory, you can kind of have an idea of where it's going. Yeah, yeah. But if the bird's erratic, it sort of throws off this predictive nature. Like it's really hard to watch a fly and it's like kind of overwhelming yeah, in terms of your senses. Okay. So that's like the best sort of okay, anecdotal so, explanation I can have. So your brain, give. the reason why it's easier to watch is because your brain is actually a prediction machine and a straight path is easier to predict than an erratic one. Yes. And okay. what these researchers were looking into, uh, as I found when I started getting into the paper, is the visual system is like really fascinating. So you have an image that's coming in, light comes into your eye, it's processed, converted into like chemical signals and electrical signals that go through your optical nerve. And then it goes through different parts of your brain and sort of hits different levels of processing as it goes. So it passes through the thalamus and then gets to your primary visual cortex, V1. But then it goes through other visual cortices, I think is the correct term, or like different areas yeah. of your cortex that process vision, hmm. like V2, V3, V4, V5. This, this sounds like we're going rock climbing or something. We're getting deeper into the matrix. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. climbing. Bouldering. Yeah. So what, what do all those steps do? Like, why is that important for this prediction stuff? Because what this study was looking at is this mechanism of feedback. So like you see an image, so it goes through your eye, goes to the primary visual cortex. Now it's at V5. Imagine it's just traveled all that. Okay. And now you have some time before you see the next image, like in a, in a movie analogy. Okay. Right? I mean, in reality, this is all happening continuously. It's not like a movie camera with like a shutter, right? Or don't, don't tell me right now. That We're all in a simulation. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't tell me right now that actually I literally am seeing the world at some frame rate well i mean there but is a minimal like a dis- there is, is like a, a minimum like rate at which you can notice things well i know that but is that like a discrete process that like i see a thing and then it has to go through all those things before i can see the next thing no it's not okay, okay but okay. but i think what uh sort of the case that they're making is like when you saccade your eyes you are sort of seeing these independent snapshots I, that you're I piecing together so each little like quick dart of the eye you can think of as like a frame yeah and maybe like a and a good analogy on, to think of it like another way too is like playing the game snake on those old phones mm-hmm. where like you see a square that's moving slowly across the screen yeah and you know there's like motion there it, it creates the illusion of motion. motion yeah so they've known that like in doing using this block uh, on a screen example, if I like flash a block on the left of the screen and then the right of the screen and keep going back and forth, you'll have this sense of motion. But you can actually look at brain activation using functional MRI. So it's looking at blood oxygen levels in your brain mm-hmm. to see where things are going. They can actually see that your brain is predicting this inner, the motion like in between the two flashing blocks. Re- wait, so on the fMRI... Sorry, that's just a confusing thing because I don't really understand how they could see that you're predicting that. Like, how do they even know what that looks like on the fMRI? Because there's an there's an actual mapping onto your visual cortex of where things are. Wait, what? Yeah. So this is like this a, is a cool word I learned. Physically, a mapping like it's spatially mapped across your brain. Yeah, it's called retinotopical mapping, dude. So this is similar to sort of this idea of like, have you seen the cortical homonucleus? <laughs> no. What does that mean? It's uh, specific parts of your like sensory system, like your sense of touch mapped to specific parts of your brain. Uh, I'll show you a picture. 
Is this like how when they're doing brain surgery, they can touch like a different part of your brain and you'll like smell pickles or like... I mean, in the sense that they know which part of your cortex has like a sense of smell. Oh, okay. okay. So this is the cortical homunculus. So oh, oh my. This is the freakiest picture I've ever seen. And it's weird. So... Dude, I hate this. They create this little figurine Ew. of a guy where it shows like... No. Your hands are oversized because you have a disproportionate amount of brain reserved for your hands. Dude, this is legitimately freaking me out. I mean, yeah. I, so it's I just, hate this. It's weird. Google it if you haven't heard of this before. And you know what's funny is I have seen this picture, like the di- like the textbook diagram version of that. And I I thought that I hadn't because I'm pretty sure I just repressed this memory. Yeah. Seeing this really freaky picture. It's really weird. All right. So we're definitely putting that on the website gonna traumatize anyone going there <laughs> yeah we should put a like warning yeah it's not really that bad i'm i'm exaggerating but it freaks me out it's a weird drawing i mean it's strange yeah yeah it's just like a weird way to represent that information but so the idea is it maps out the area in the brain it, like it has a bunch of body parts and like an eyeball and like drawn at one part of the brain and like a nose drawn at another and like a mouth and they're all sized to how proportionately that sense like how strong that sense is in your brain yes and it's like it's actually pretty cool so you can get some actual like spatial awareness like you can almost you know we had that episode about like looking at the brain signals to back out the sound that's not what they're doing here but like you can see sort of a direct mapping of like where something shows up and where there's brain act activation okay so back to the example of the blocks like supposedly moving across the screen but like cell phone snake game style of like Mm -hmm. if they were to show like a very smooth video of a block moving across the screen and they did an fMRI, they would see a very smooth transition of blood flow in the brain or of oxygen flow in the brain. I think so. Yeah. And it requires some calibration and uh, predetermination. So they do right. some like initial images, right, right. blocks and stuff to like figure out where this region is. But I think so. Yes. But then what's interesting and why this is really important is uh, what happens if you show a block that's then out of sequence? Or out of timing. So I'm just going to guess an answer. Your brain would then create like its own new idea that it's moving in a different way and sort of predict it moving to the to like a new place. All right. I'm going to. That's a good. That's a good point. But uh, what do you think that would do to like your brain activity? Do you think you'd see increased brain activity or decreased brain activity? Well, increased. Increased. Yeah. What do I get? What uh, I win? You get to talk to me for the rest of this episode and learn more. <laughs> James, that is not a prize. <laughs> you get one free Paperboy sticker that we already have. That I paid for? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, wow, James, you know, this This is a real burden for me. <laughs> uh, no, okay, so you get increased brain activity. So, so is that what they're doing in this study? I've realized we're kind of talking about this hypothetically, but this sounds pretty specific. So this has been shown. Like, Oh, that's get, all background. You, yeah. I mean, this is all a really important background because then the study does like a very specific case that hasn't been looked at before. Okay. Wait, so why is there increased brain activity when they show... So like they're showing the block flashing left to right, left to right. And it's like, okay, very predictable. This block is moving left to right. Obviously, my brain is going to predict that motion. And then they suddenly change it up and it goes somewhere else. Brain activity increases. Why? Because you now have to like reprocess it. So it's sort of like with this feedback, they call it explaining away your sensory input. It's like 
what's happening matches your mental model. So you don't actually have to really integrate the sensory information anymore. When that rhythm is disturbed, so it could even be blocks on the same line. Like you have a screen, you have a block on the left side, block on the right side, same size block. And I just go left, right, left, right. Your brain will sort of interpret this movement. Mm -hmm. If I randomly show you a block in the middle that's off timing, so it's like it shows up a little faster than you expected Yeah. before it goes to the block on the right, like that'll mess up and you'll see more activation. Okay. Because now it's like this, there's something else going on. Your mental model is disturbed. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like if you're driving on the highway, you're going along and like every, all the car, you know, everyone's going like 80 miles an hour, right? Everything's going fast, but like you're able to predict kind of all the motions around you. It's almost boring. You could like fall asleep driving, even though you're going so freaking fast and it's dangerous. But then suddenly if someone all of a sudden like swerves into your lane, like everything comes back and you're like, oh like right on it and your brain just goes into overdrive yeah because suddenly you have this like new motion that that now you have to kind of reaccount for like yeah and that's a great point like you're i mean you're probably not expending a lot of energy if you're just on an empty highway yeah in terms of your brain activity so like if you think of the brain as a computer like maybe computationally that's really effective but it's interesting that it sort of has this predictive aspect we're not just looking snapshot by snapshot we're building a model and using that to reduce how much we have to think yeah so you don't have to expend all that new energy like processing the whole situation each time you get a new image yeah it's like it's like video compression you know like they only process they only send you the bits of the pixels that change yeah i mean it's like you know it's really useful for a lot of things like i think your phones use it too yeah like to minimize bandwidth and stuff when you're talking on a cell phone well, okay. This is really cool. I'm like kind of blown away that my brain is just doing this right now. Yeah. I mean, it's we, crazy. What you guys don't know is that here in the studio, aka James's bedroom, <laughs> there's uh there's black squares flying all around and they're normally very predictable. <laughs> all these b- crazy black squares. Yeah. So this has been a long background into the actual paper itself. That's okay. But it's been interesting. So what makes this paper different? We talked about cicading and this paper realized that essentially a key test had been missing in this uh, study of, they call it um, predictive coding. And that was that humans cicade about three to four times per second. And the author suggested that this cortical predictive feedback that we're talking about from like V5 to V1 mm-hmm. exists every time your eyes move and cicade. So on this really fine time scale. So it's doing a prediction every time you move your eyes. Yeah, you move your eyes and there's this predictive mapping. They took it a step further and they said, I'm going to say this and then break it down. Okay. That the predictive mapping would even jump hemispheres of your visual cortex. Okay. Yeah, definitely have to back up here. I still don't even really understand like the predictive mapping when you're cicading. Is this cicading or cicading or? Cicading, I think is how I heard it pronounced. Okay. So I don't even really understand the idea of like, predictive feedback just when you're moving your eyes around i could kind of understand it with the black squares like predicting the motion of something kind of irrespective of your eyes movement but okay so you have your left and right eye and they map to the opposite hemispheres of your brain left and right hemisphere so your visual cortex spans both hemispheres your visual cortex is at the back of your head right so your right eye maps to the left part of your primary visual cortex the left side to the right all right they crisscross in your brain. Mm-hmm. So if I see something with my, if I'm like looking to the right and I see something and so that's mapping 
to the left side of your brain. Yeah, if I'm like just looking out in my right eye, it's mapping to the left side of my brain. If I cicade over to the left then, like something moves, you can imagine like now the right side of my visual cortex is going to be activated. Oh, and so it needs to know what is coming. So that mapping occurs. So it doesn't have to like start the whole thing over. And the prediction occurs and moves over to the other side. Whoa. So the left side of your visual cortex like kind of almost like gives the right side a heads up of like what to expect. Yes. And this hadn't been shown before. Wow. Which is actually pretty cool. And wait, does that little heads up only happen when you see something like moving from right to left across your vision? Like is the only reason why the left hemisphere gave the right hemisphere heads up is because your brain predicted that that object would end up on the left side? Was that a confusing question? No, that's a really good question. So what's interesting is no. So they did this visual test, and so they're doing blocks that are moving vertically. But they have oh. you they have you change your focus from the right side of the screen to the left. So there's a little red cross. I can show you an image of it. Mm-hmm. We'll post it online. So you're looking at this screen we're talking about blocks moving and so what's happening is you're looking they say look at the red cross and this thing flashes on the top bottom top bottom so they put the red cross to the right of the thing moving yeah so uh for the listeners imagine a gray screen in the center right of the screen is a red cross that you're looking at in the center of the gray screen then is a white square at the top that blinks and then it blinks on the bottom top and bottom so it looks like this white square is moving from the top center to the bottom center yeah so like right up and down the middle of the screen is the the apparent motion of this square and they just have you shift your vision from like the right side of that to the left side of it so that goes from yeah they show you like almost 10 snapshots of the that square moving up and down as you're looking at the right and then the cross moves to the left side and they show you one snapshot of the square on the bottom and Okay, so and they what just they, show you the bottom square, and then they try and see if your brain predicted the top square. Yes, if it predicts that movement. But then they also, so then they did three tests after that. Okay. But I'll talk about that in a sec. Okay, yeah, I want to make sure we understand how this one works. So it's like you're starting out, and let's forget the fact, like kind of ignore the fact that the things are right in the middle. What's really happening is that they're having a square appear as if it's going from bottom to top on the left side of your vision. Yes, and then very quickly, they have the they have it suddenly appear on the right side of your vision, but they never show the top square. They never show the top square. They just train your brain. They train the left side of your vision to expect this upwards motion. And then suddenly they do a fake out on the right side of your vision. Yes. Wh- which maps to the left side of your visual which maps cortex. To the left yeah. Side of your, yeah. Okay. And what did they see in the fMRI when that happened? You see the you see that it maps over like so they see that the same thing that was happening when you were actually observing the motion of the square happens again yes if i understand that correctly yes i'm sorry mike i think my questions might be more confusing than your explanation but this is it's hard because this is like a visual very visual experiment and this is a podcast (laughs) in the scientific terms of the paper they say the pre-saccadic predictions so before you've moved your eyes, mm-hmm. your brain comes up with a prediction, updates to the retinotopic location. So so it up this prediction updates to the the new side of the visual cortex mm-hmm. in time to like take in the new sensory input and adjust. And so if it's 
what it if it's what you expect like there's no deviation like we talked about that block that's off timing mm-hmm. you don't have much brain activity so like your the your brain did not have to do that much work to suddenly know what to expect in a whole different place of the brain yeah which is pretty interesting because yeah. all this is happening pretty fast like yeah i mean it's like almost instantaneous yeah you're moving your eyes four times a second so 250 milliseconds they're flashing these images at about uh every 85 milliseconds oh wow that's way faster than i thought it's pretty fast so if i understand what they showed with that test is that there's like a certain amount of activity and there's also like this prediction capability where they can kind of throw your brain can kind of throw the prediction from one hemisphere to the other yes faster than you move your eyes oh wow okay so i guess now the, the next question would be how does that prove that like this is some sort of efficiency optimization in your brain like do they have a way do they have anything to compare that against yeah so that's a great question they you know they did this test where they're blinking the squares they have you move your eyes and then they show you the square again and you have some model then what they do is they give these little disturbances so we were talking about the square at the top square at the bottom they then show a square in the middle and you could imagine that if the timing is right for showing the square even though it's in the middle and not in the other locations the rhythm would be the same oh that's what you mean when you say you have a model like the model is in your brain it's a model of what it expects the motion to look like yeah you could say the model is like your like mental model is this line going up and down like at some speed at some speed and some direction and if they just kept adding dots at the right time until it suddenly looked like a smooth motion like that wouldn't be inconsistent with the model that you've built yeah so like uh Imagine you're driving down a highway at 60 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. You take a snapshot at mile zero and a snapshot at mile one. And like those should be one minute apart. Right. If right. I now take a snapshot at mile 0.5 and play it to you 30 seconds in between, the model is just... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's continuous for what you expect. Okay. But so what you're saying is that they could play it out of sequence. Yeah. So they could take that half mile snapshot and play it 30 seconds or they could also play it at 15 seconds oh so it's like your brain is accustomed to going 60 miles per hour in this analogy but now you see this snapshot that comes a little too soon so it's a little jarring and that would really like that would really mess with your head you'd be like whoa what the heck like yeah it's like have you (laughs) have you ever watched that show the it crowd no man this is gonna be the most obscure reference ever i can already tell (laughs) but like there's this guy who lives in like the back room of this it department okay and like he doesn't do anything he just like watches these server racks that have these blinking lights (laughs) and they have like a very specific pattern and he's like pointing out the pattern and then he's like oh and sometimes it does this i don't really know what that means (laughs) (laughs) but i'm just imagining like sitting in a room like even if i were to show you like some totally weird pattern as long as it repeats you would ultimately learn to expect when something was coming yeah it would freak you out if it came at at the wrong time yeah, you, you suddenly be like, "Whoa, hang on a second. Exactly. That's exact. That's a great obscure reference, Charlie. Okay. Everyone, go watch the IT crowd. <laughs> so the, you know, after watching this pattern, you'd expect his brain activity to lower, if you adhere to the predictive coding school of thought. Okay. And so, like with these, uh, like highway snapshots, like we were talking about, you see the one that's right on time in the right spot. It's like, yeah, maybe it's a new, it's a new image. So maybe it's a like a little elevated brain activity, but mm-hmm. like not too much. But if I show you one that's off rhythm, uh, you'd expect an elevated level. 
of yeah. brain activity. Yeah. Higher, so, higher than what you, than the other cases. Than the ones where it fit with your prediction. Can you guess what they found? <laughs> I was about to ask, is that what they found? Yeah, that's what they found. That's really cool. Yeah. So and that's like that. I imagine that in the neuroscience world, that's kind of a big deal to show like it's that's almost counterintuitive to say that it takes less brain activity to be predicting something that's not happening than it is to just take in information that's actually there. Yes. And for that model to transfer hemispheres faster than that, like, you know, that eye reaction of cicading. Yeah. It's almost like the like the limiting step in all of this is like your, you know, slowpoke eyeballs that can't really move fast. It's like pick it up eyeballs. Yeah. And like the signal transferring like to the back of your head. The, like the actual electrical propagation. Yeah. Like all that is the slow stuff and the way that your brain processes it and predicts it is the, is the fast part. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't have numbers for you, but it seems like that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Wow. That's really crazy. It sounds also like oh, just a really hard thing to like test and then crunch data on in or- and then finally come out with that answer. There is so much about this paper that I just can't even get into. Really? <laughs> just like don't have enough time. I probably didn't even do the best job explaining this. I definitely did not do the best job explaining this. But like, yeah, it took a lot to boil this down. But uh, yeah, it's I, pretty interesting though. I feel fortunate that you're the one who covers all of our brain papers because I just could never... I could never figure this stuff out. I, I'm probably uh, outing myself, but I did find a short lecture from the actual supervising author on this too. So not going to lie, I did watch that too to get a little inside knowledge. <laughs> you act like that's cheating or something. Shh, don't tell. It's like, it's like there's like those memes online or whatever that are like, yeah, like I found this really awesome way to cheat on the test. Like I just get all the books and all the notes and then I just like l- like memorize all this stuff and then the information <laughs> just in your head when you take the test it's crazy <laughs> yes i cheated for paper voice yeah yeah you act like reading it was, the yeah. paper and watching a presentation <laughs> exactly. from the author yeah good thing there's no grades right yeah so yeah i mean that's the paper dennis definitely let us know if we got it right hopefully uh we didn't butcher it for you yeah dennis is really gonna regret asking us to cover this one for him i know so no, is that no we did we got it right got it right yeah sure i'm predicting this my brain is predicting this <laughs> good well my brain is certainly not doing much work anymore so <laughs> well let us know dennis so that's the whole paper that's it that's it i mean i literally did not talk about like 80 percent of the pages that describe like specifically how they got these mappings and oh all like that all the calibration FMRI and data processing yeah there was a lot and like how they went through the different participants they also used eye trackers and had these like inclusion or like throw away metrics to say like you're not moving your eye within the right circadian time stuff like mm. that i mean yeah that's most of it so not to sound like a troglodyte <laughs> i don't think that's well right, but... charlie you sound like an extinct fossil <laughs> yeah uh but like why does this matter like this sounds like the kind of thing that you know i'm i'm asking in the most cynical way possible like who cares yeah that's a good question um i actually think there are a lot of people who care outside of the neuroscience community. Obviously, this is important from just like an, a neuroscientific perspective, mm-hmm. understanding fundamentally how humans adapt and understand. There's still a lot that's unknown about all these visual processing areas of the brain. Hmm. So this is an interesting step forward in that. But what was actually really cool, um, and I think Dennis was hinting at in his email, is that this has a lot of applications 
for things like robotics and artificial intelligence. Oh. And what they're really proposing is that um, the next generation of these robots and artificial intelligent beings could incorporate these feedback cycles to include this expectation in order to make vision and overall action more sensitive to expectations. That's sort of a quote from the author. Would it also be like more computationally efficient? Yes. In the same way that your brain activity is lower? Exactly. Whoa. And you can... That's really cool. You could like almost try to build an algorithm that's doing what your brain's doing. Yes. So here's a quote from one of the authors, Lars Muckley, the main supervisory author. Okay. He said... In vision, if each image is processed by itself, then certain ambiguities occur which wouldn't when you take the history into consideration. Objects, foreground, backgrounds, objects that disappear, expectations of where things are in the room, which things are big and small, are all much easier to interpret if over time the processing helps to process the next condition. And the way our brains are doing this is that some kind of expectation goes back down the hierarchy, so that flow of the visual cortex we were talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interacting with the input. So you're comparing sort of this previous image to this new image that's coming in. And artificial intelligence systems usually don't do this. So they're now proposing these algorithms that could potentially give some big advantage. So, okay, now it's kind of really coming around to me like why this is like a feedback system. Yes. Because in a feedback system, what's happening is the the input is being compared to some desired state or some some expected state. Mm-hmm. And like the difference between those things is called your error. And the magnitude of the error is what drives like the behavior of the system. Yeah. And so they actually use that term in the paper. I should have brought that up. It, error? Error. So they're saying like this, in, it, when you see this enhanced brain activity, this added brain activity, it's a sign that there's an error signal. That means that the error is very high. Yeah. So so like cruise control is a, is a good example. I know we're talking about all these things on the highway, but in cruise control, it's like, if you're going 60 and you've set the cruise control to 60, the desired state is 60 and the input is 60. So you have an error of zero. Yes. So it doesn't really have to do much to keep that speed. Suddenly you come up to a hill and the car slows down. And now you're going 57. The error is now three. And there's some law that takes that number three and, and then makes it push the gas. So now the car has to do a bunch of work in order to bring that error back to zero. And But once the error is zero, the car is chilling out it now doesn't it gets have to, to go back in exactly yeah 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 it's the it's the same thing okay that's really cool i mean like because that whole area like feedback systems and control systems i mean if you could combine that with neuroscience in order to do like ai like machine vi- like um computer vision stuff i mean that just huge. sounds like suddenly you can draw in all these different fields to produce like some sort of amazing like predictive technology fine robotic movement or like especially for like computer vision i think takes a lot of processing power right so you could start to reduce this right pretty cool wow our brains are just so much better at so many things than computers are can you just imagine if we could integrate our brains to the cloud to enable the internet of things yeah is your is your brain iot enabled uh not yet dude if my brain could just hook straight up to my fridge oh i'd, I'd be a happy person the dream it, plus with amazon prime <laughs> yeah be set just have an alexa in my mind double stuff oreos on thought yes oh okay and then yeah i never need to leave my house again yep the dream so someday so is that it that's it that's all i got that's pretty awesome this is like yeah it as i said at the beginning this kind of is leaving my brain hurting a little bit (laughs) what none of you guys know is that we actually had to pause this episode halfway through so james could like explain this to me because i was so dumbfounded i was like what the hell is this paper 
it like makes sense once it makes sense but there's like a lot for to get to that point i don't know it sounds like you could just go deeper and deeper like and never stop yeah i mean i still have a ton of questions but it was really interesting reading the paper at least it's a good topic cool well we will post the paper on our brand spanking new website everyone should go check it out give us some feedback on whether you think it's super ugly or not let us know uh, yeah paperboyspodcast.com uh, the episode will be up there with all the relevant links we'll post a link to that lecture as well and you can kind of see actually like what they did for the experimental like the squares moving and stuff because i know it's kind of hard to explain that one on a podcast yeah sorry about that one guys but uh we'll post the video it's a great lecture definitely check it out give us some feedback too on this especially you dennis send us a message tell us tell us if we did a good job uh, on our Instagram and our Twitter at paperboyspod. Subscribe, tell a friend if you enjoy listening to the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Charlie and I love making these, so let us know, especially hit us up if you have additional paper recommendations. And then I would be remiss if I didn't once again plug our Patreon. It's kind of what makes this show possible at this point. Uh, James and I love, love, love doing this podcast. Obviously, we would do this for free. But the Patreon is just a nice way for uh, for this to become more sustainable for James and I to do and for you guys to get a little more of uh, our voices in your ears every month if you're interested in the bonus episodes. So go check that out, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. You get a free sticker just for signing up and a handwritten note with um, you know lipstick kisses and stuff on it, <laughs> a little perfume. <laughs> we'll send you a love letter if you The new if you uh, Calvin Klein Paperboys edition. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.